Hello and welcome to the 5th of April edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Phil. Pippa's away this week, unfortunately, so you'll have to stick with me. The team for this week's edition comprises John Plush as recording engineer, and it's with great pleasure that we welcome John back. He's been away for some time, as you probably know, in hospital, and he's looking reasonably fit and healthy. In fact, he's glowering at me now, so he must be perfectly okay. Copy and admin this week, Carol Hartle and Uncle Wynn, Duncan Wynn, and today's readers are Catherine, Neil, Hello. And Jane Fires. Hello. <laughs> I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the locality, the headline stories, some general news stories, some sport, and we will turn to the obituaries at the end of the main recording. There'll be a thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and the birthdays. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. Please do keep sending us your feedback, good and bad, as the team here wants to make the recording as pleasurable and as relevant as possible for you. If you do have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, put a note on your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you are unwell or have a problem, please ring us. Again, that number 01905 767 766 and leave a message. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So let's start with the telephone numbers. Police non-emergency is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800 treble 5 treble 1. Worcester Hub for Council Matters 01905 765 765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, is 01905 611 427. The Malvern Theatres are 01684 892277. Samaritans, which is incidentally now a free phone number, is 116123. And here at Colin Chance House, for one more time, we are 01905 767 766. And now let's have a brief look at what's on, starting with something that Catherine has to share with us. There's going to be a retelling of the classic children's story, Wind in the Willows, at Morven Theatres. Organisers say it will be explosive. A spokesman said, the show stars Olivier, award-winning actor, the nation's favourite pantomime dame, and star of BBC's The Story of Tracy Beaker, Clive Rowe, as Mr Badger, alongside X Factor favourite Sean Miley Moore, who's playing Duck, and Let It Shine performer Matt Knight, Chief Weasel. With spectacular street dance choreographed by the award-winning Rhymes Lequant, associate choreographer for Zoo Nation and artistic director of Boudicca, 
The production will also star deaf street dancer Chris Von Seeker. In the Willows will incorporate British Sign Language into the choreography for a unified experience for deaf and hearing audiences alike. What else can an audience expect? The spokesman added, it's Mole's first day in the Willows. Her classmates look a bit scary. Surely Mr Badger will look out for her as streetwise ratty, rich kid Toad and cheeky otter teach her the ways of the riverbank. But when Toad gets locked up for joyriding, the weasel clan break into his pad. It's now only a matter of time before Chief Weasel reveals Mole's dark secret. This classic story is brought leaping into the 21st century, featuring ballads, beats and backflips. In the Willows will be on stage at Malvern Theatres from April the 24th to April the 27th and for tickets call 01684 892 277. And now we have um, Viva Santana who plan to bring some Spanish flair to Worcester this spring and the venue will be the Huntington Hall. For both the tribute performers and the devoted fans, the celebration of a Woodstock hero will be a religious experience, apparently. Guitarist Marcos says Santana Live is almost like a religious service. Carlos is the Pope and you can't always get to see him. So when I play, I'm just a priest reciting the gospel, but the message is the same. A spokesman added, this phenomenal seven-piece Latin rock explosion continues to amaze fans wherever they present their celebration of the music of the legendary Carlos Santana. Featuring, featuring inspirational Spanish guitarist Marcos Rodriguez, this powerful band takes you through the Santana years with a stunning two-hour show featuring tracks from Santana 1, Abraxas and Moonflower, right through to the recent hits from Supernatural, Shaman and All That I Am. It's all there, from the powerful four-piece rhythm section that brings the heartbeat of the band, comprising congas, timbales, drums and bass, all played with a precision understanding of the traditional and modern Latin rhythms, to the infectious Cuban piano and haunting Hammond organ wizardry of a truly gifted keyboard maestro. The spokesman added, the Viva Santana family consists of talented, dedicated, professional musicians who fully immerse themselves to recreate the mood, sounds and atmosphere of Santana's music with passion, heart, soul and chilling accuracy. The current lineup of musicians have played and toured with such artists as Roger Daltrey, Joan Arbitrading, Matt Bianco, Jethro Tull, Bad Manners, Desmond Decker, Yes, Robin Jones and many more. Carlos Santana changed the face of rock music forever when he stormed Woodstock in 1969 with his own special fusion of rock, Latin, jazz and the music of Africa. The date for the diary is Friday, April the 27th from 7.30pm and the box office is 01905 611427 and www.worcesterlive.co.uk Thank you, Jane. Um, the one I've got is actually in Hereford, and it's Russell Watson. 
Join four-time Brit Classical Award winner Russell Watson for a very special evening, accompanied by his pianist and guest choir at the Courtyard in Hereford. That's the one that's across the road from Edgar Street Football Ground, of course. A spokesman said, having sold more than 7 million ad albums worldwide, Russell Watson is firmly established as the UK's best-selling classical crossover artist of all time. To date, his illustrious career has included performances for Her Majesty the Queen, the Pope and two US presidents. Over the past 15 years, he has sung at the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games in 2002 at Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Coronation Gala Festival and the New Camp Stadium for the 1999 Champions League final with Montserrat Caballé. The spokesman added, Captivating to watch and enchanting to listen to, Russell wows audiences with his enigmatic and entertaining live performances. The spokesman added, Audience members can enjoy Prosecco and sweet canapes during the interval by upgrading their tickets, or bringing their own, presumably. A very special evening with Russell Watson will be on at the Courtyard on Sunday, April 7th at 7.30. To book, call the box office on 01432 or visit courtyard.org.uk. Now, I've been asked to pass on some uh, early news of the Winning Post Charity Golf Day at Bewdley Pines, partly and only partly because the nominated charity for this year is Our Good Selves, the WNESB. This will be the 16th annual Charity Golf Day at Bewdley Pines Golf Club. Friends or family of our listeners who are interested in taking part should contact Jim McKeever on 07710-600396 or the winning post direct on 01905-21178 for details on how to enter or for sponsorship opportunities. If you'd like to donate a gift for their prize draw, please contact Jim McKeever as soon as possible so that it may be included in the full list of prizes on the Golf Day information. Okay, just some ideas for you there as to how to spend at least part of the next few days. We move now to uh, the headlines, and here they are in summary. Friday gave us woman very shaken after gang target shop. Saturday, joy as Oscar finds stem cell match. Monday, mother forced into sex trade after benefits delay. Tuesday, my home could be demolished. Wednesday, fury over M5 junction delay. And Thursday, woman killed in crash on M5. And I'm going to ask Catherine to start in on that. Thank you, Phil. Right, so this is Friday's headline story. Woman very shaken after gang target shop. A shopkeeper says she's been left very shaken after a gang of thieves targeted her while she was alone in the store, stealing £30,000 worth of jewellery. Six or seven men entered the premier Astwood convenience store in Astwood Road and distracted the woman while one of them entered her home above the shop. This man, who appeared to have a knife or screwdriver, then searched the flat and stole jewellery and the woman's passport. The jewellery collection had been passed down to the woman through generations of her Sikh family, she said. Speaking to the Worcester News, the victim, who's asked not to be named, said she has been left feeling very shaken. The landlord of the shop who also asked not to be named, said six to seven men of Eastern European appearance, possibly Romanian, entered the shop. Some went to the back of the store, while one stayed at the front and chatted to the woman. A man asked her about this price and that price of different items in the shop. 
He said that one of the gang tried to enter the flat via the back of the store. He probably thought they could get to the upstairs flat straight through the back, like most shops, he said. Another person was outside the whole time, watching, then went to the side of the shop and entered the flat to steal. She comes from a hard-working Sikh family and has not been just given the shop, he added. A resident living nearby was inside the store at the time the offence took place and said, I remember feeling very uncomfortable as the group seemed fidgety, nervous, like they were up to something. According to the witness, the ringleader was middle-aged and the rest were much younger. The leader was trying to distance himself from the rest of the group as if they weren't all together, but it was clear they were. He bought mundane, random stuff and paid about £20 in cash for his items. It was odd, as instead of handing over the money to the shopkeeper, he held the money in his hand and she had to take it from him, like he was testing her. He had a bad attitude, he added. Another witness, who lives close to the shop, said, I've seen the CCTV footage from inside the shop. The men enter the shop, mess around, and a man outside walks around the side of the shop to get to the flat and is holding what looks like a knife or screwdriver. He added, I believe gangs come to Worcester from outside the area to steal, then drive back to the safety of where they live. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said officers are checking the shop's CCTV and have carried out door-to-door inquiries in the area in an effort to catch the thieves. And the next one is Joy as Oscar finds a stem cell match. A Worcester schoolboy has finally found a stem cell match after locals flocked to a city school to see if they could potentially save his life. Pitmaston Primary School pupil Oscar Saxelby Lee, aged five, from Worcester, is now due to undergo a transplant. More than 4,200 people turned up at his school at the start of this month to sign up to a stem cell donor register. Another 1,000-plus registered at the Guildhall in Worcester and hundreds signed up at another event that was at the University of Worcester. Oscar was given three months to live earlier this year after he was diagnosed with a rare type of cancer. Olivia Saxelby, Oscar's mum, said she was ecstatic that a match had been found for her boy. She added, I don't think any news has ever made us so happy in our entire lives. We know this is the beginning of yet another tough journey, but we will beat this together and get him home where he belongs, living the life he absolutely deserves. He has finally got a stem cell match, not just one but three, and will be undergoing a transplant very soon. It has been so, so traumatic, but we are over the moon with being given the chance to tackle the next step in treatment. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to all of you out there who have registered, supported and continued to spread the word for our beautiful boy and those in need of bone marrow cells. We could never have done this without you all. Although we haven't had specific details of the chosen donor and won't for about two years post-transplant, we will know the details such as age, gender and nationality as soon as the donor is chosen. What a feeling of relief and positivity to help Oscar kick cancer's butt. Miss Saxelby said the family had been on a journey of heartache and dread since Oscar's diagnosis. 
Kate Wilcock, the head teacher of Pitmuston Primary School, said, It's the best news ever. It's what we've all been waiting for. We're all absolutely emotional wrecks. And we're all behind him. He's ready for the next step. Mrs Wilcock said the school sent parents a text message on Friday to inform them of the news. She added, This is what we were all together for. We came together to try and find this person, the match. The head teacher said that although she did not know whether the match was found at the school's registration event earlier this month, the publicity around it led to a surge in people signing up to the stem cell donor list. She added that Oscar was now coming out on top after responding to chemotherapy and finding a match. Thank you, Jane. Monday's story, headline, Mother Forced into Sex Trade After Benefits Delay. A former prostitute claims she was forced to sell sex for money as a result of problems with her benefits. The woman, who lives in St John's, Worcester, said she became a prostitute as a result of universal credit, which was rolled out in the city last year. The mother of three claims she made mistakes in her application form, resulting in a delay in her receiving her first payment. She said, I was desperate. I felt I had no choice. I needed to feed my children, so once and only once I gave it a go. It was when my children were at school, nobody else knew. I worked with my friend and had sex twice with two men. I earned £200. I won't go into details or say where it took place, but I will never do it again. I felt used, cheap, dirty and degraded, but that night my children had a good meal. The mother, who wanted to remain anonymous, said she made mistakes on her benefit application form in part because her controlling partner used to fill out the paperwork in their home. However, the couple split up in September. The woman, whose children are all aged under 10, added, I was out of money, my savings had disappeared, and I was really struggling to survive. I used a local food bank twice. I was told by them they may not be able to help me again. No money arrived, and I became desperate. The mother then contacted a friend of a friend who sold sex for money and asked for advice. She said, she advised me how to sell myself, she told me how to do it, where to find clients and how to stay safe. She told me which hotels in Worcester hired rooms by the hour and explained the risks. After her horrifying experience of prostitution, the mother, who has no local family and few friends, contacted County Councillor Richard Udall to try and sort out her benefit claim. She said, I have now received the money and I will never go back to prostitution. I would ask people not to judge me. I feel guilty enough already. I would do anything to ensure my children can eat, but I think I went too far. I know from what my friend told me that this is not unusual. Many women have been forced to do the same. If the people in government only knew what they are forcing women to do, they would change. They really have no idea how bad life can be on benefits. They have no idea what actions people like me are forced to take to survive. Councillor Udall, who represents St John's in Worcester, commended the woman for having the bravery to share her story. He said he often hears desperate and tragic tales from residents who need help to claim benefits, saying this particular mum had faced a five-week wait for benefits and was sent into a spiral after her claim was initially rejected. The councillor added, she was forced into drastic, dangerous and degrading activity just to survive. For her and many others, this has become the reality of life in, on benefits in Middle England in 2019. Our benefits system is broken. 
It has become so bad people are being forced into desperate acts and we urgently need benefit reform and change. A Department for Work and Pension spokesman said people do not have to wait five weeks to receive a universal credit payment. He added, the first payment and advance is available on day one, meaning people are paid 13 times in a 12-month cycle. Less than 3% of those subject to requirements for their benefits are under sanction and only when they have not met them without good reason. Graham Lucas, manager of Worcester Food Bank, said the service reviews people's cases after their third visit to the facility. He said this policy is designed to ensure that people do not become dependent on the food bank. Residents could see their homes demolished in plans to build on a former city golf course. Developer Bromford Housing plans to build 40 homes on the old Tolodyne golf course and properties in Darwin Avenue could be demolished to make way for an access road. Darwin Avenue resident Catherine Baker has spoken out after Bromford Housing revealed its plans ahead of submitting a formal application to Worcester planners. Miss Baker says she is one of three tenants living in a Bromford housing property that had been informed of the plans to build 40 dwellings. Miss Baker said, I'm one of their tenants in Darwin Avenue whose house they're intending on demolishing, meaning they're forcing me to move out of my home in order to gain an access road. Joe Fieldhouse, Bromford's head of locality, said, We have been engaging with customers on Darwin Avenue for a number of weeks, and although it's still very early stages, we were keen to get their views over proposals for the adjacent old Tolodyne Golf Course site as quickly as possible. We're completely sympathetic to any distress experienced by the customers living in these three properties and are working as transparently and as closely with them as possible to understand their individual circumstances before any formal planning permission is submitted. The golf club, which was Worcester's oldest, has been derelict since it closed in 2006 when the bulldozers moved in. The club, founded in 1898, was forced to close because of mounting debts of more than £125,000 and vandalism at the site. The club was also targeted in a suspected arson attack in which £6,500 worth of damage was suffered. Previous planning applications at the site have also been fought by residents, including in 2005, when Vodafone applied for permission to build a permanent mobile phone mast on the golf course, and in 2010, when there were plans to build 11 new houses. And this is from Wednesday, April the 3rd. Fury over M5 junction delay. This city's MP is furious with the Highways England for running behind schedule on works to transform a motorway junction in the city. The M5 Junction 6 improvement works were originally supposed to finish last winter. However, the end date was pushed back to the spring and it's now being extended to the autumn. Two county councillors said the project is running over budget by millions of pounds, although Highways England refused to confirm or deny this. The project, which involves widening the junction's roundabout, slip roads and approaches, started in April last year.
and is intended to reduce congestion. Robin Walker, MP for Worcester, said, I'm furious. I think this is totally unacceptable that this has been delayed by up to six months. Highways England gave me assurances that they recognised how important it was to get the Junction 6 working done quickly. This is the third significant project on our stretch of motorway. All three have overrun. It's not just a one-off issue. I wouldn't be as angry about it if it was. Highways England told councillors that the project would cost around £5 million at an economy and environmental overview and scrutiny panel meeting in March last year, according to County Councillor Tony Miller. The councillor said he'd been told the works were around £20 million over budget, although he didn't know if this was the estimated final cost or the current amount that the project was running over by. He added, I think at the end of the project, Highways England should say what it has cost and what taxpayers' money has been spent on. I think they should say this project has overrun and what the original price was. There's no reason to keep that under wraps. The councillor added that contractors have had to dig deeper than expected to build a retaining wall at the junction due to poor ground conditions. County Councillor Chris Bloor claims that he was told the project was significantly over budget to the tune of £10 million. He said he was told about this around six months ago, although, just like Mr Miller, he's unsure whether this was the estimated final cost of the project or how much the project was running over budget at the time. He added, Highways England is an unaccountable quango. From my experience of trying to get assurances over work at Junction 4, I've always found it's like getting blood out of a stone. Not even the MP can get information out of them. Interserve, the contractors for the Junction 6 project, fell into administration last month, although the company says this is no longer the case. In response to a direct request of how much Highways England expected the project to cost, a spokesman said, final costs are yet to be confirmed as the work is still ongoing. We are committed to completing these essential improvements as quickly and as safely as possible. Jessica Kenny, who manages the Junction 6 project for Highways England, has said, This is a vital upgrade to a busy junction of the M5 in Worcestershire, and we're committed to completing work as quickly and as safely as possible. We have now completed work in some areas and removed some of the speed restrictions on the M5 to minimise potential delays to journeys. There is still work to do in some areas and we will be removing the remainder of the roadworks in phases over the coming months. We're doing all we can to reduce disruption to motorists, businesses and residents. Once completed, the scheme will reduce congestion and support future economic growth in the Greater Worcester area. We'd like to thank motorists for their patience while this essential work continues. The Highways England website added, Unfortunately, we encountered unforeseen challenges due to poor ground conditions and additional groundwater, which has delayed our progress. We still have work to do in other areas, and we will be removing the remainder of the roadworks in phases over the next few months.
And finally, today's headline, Woman Killed in Crash on M5. A woman believed to be in her 20s has died in a crash on the M5. An off-duty paramedic and passers-by fought to save her, but she died at the scene after her Peugeot was badly damaged in a crash with a Land Rover. Two men travelling in the Land Rover were unhurt. Police appealed for witnesses or dash cam footage to the early morning crash, which closed the M5 northbound between Junction 5, Droitwich, and Junction 4A, that's the one with the M42, for six hours. The rush hour closure left some commuters trapped in traffic for hours. A West Midlands ambulance service spokesman said they were called to the crash on a northbound carriageway at around 5.40am. On arrival, he said, ambulance staff found that a car that had suffered considerable damage An off-duty paramedic and bystanders were trying to assist the car driver. Unfortunately, despite all efforts, it was not possible to save her and she was confirmed dead at the scene. There were 10-mile tailbacks until midday with some drivers trapped for five hours and other drivers on the A449 near Junction 6 unable to move for more than three hours. Chief Superintendent Tom Harding said... As the public would expect in such tragic cases, a thorough investigation has been launched to establish the circumstances behind the collision and our thoughts are with the families involved at this very difficult time. Inquiries are currently ongoing and we would encourage anyone who saw the collision or has dash cam footage of the moments leading up to it to come forward. We have worked hard with key partners to ensure the length of time the road was closed and that we released as much information as possible, as quickly as possible, to keep people informed. Commuter Mark Murrin Earp said, I didn't see the accident but have now been stuck for five hours as a result of it. Junction 5 to 4A is a terrible junction that requires urgent re-engineering. Writing on the Worcester News Facebook page, Samantha Langford said, Feel sorry for all the people stuck in it, but what's even more sad is it sounds like someone won't get to hug their loved ones again. Byron Ecock said, I was stuck in standstill traffic for three hours. Heather Cripps, I didn't see anything, but I have been stuck on the motorway for over three hours now. Patsy Lee says she was stuck at Six Ways Roundabout, adding, I didn't see anything of the accident. Idiots try to jump the queue using the hard shoulder, though. It is all on dash cam and I may pass it on to the police. Highways England put diversions in place while drivers were encouraged to avoid the area. The woman's family were told of her death yesterday morning. A formal identification is yet to take place and a file will be prepared for the coroner. Anyone with information is asked to call 101, quoting incident 40, that's 40S, of April the 3rd. Okay, we now move to some of the other stories that we've chosen from this week's newspapers. And we'll start with Catherine. And here's one with really quite a bit of light relief in it. It's called Merriment at Pub Fest. It's a full page and it has some lovely photographs of some of the old and atmospheric pubs that that we have in Worcester. A brand new festival celebrated cities, pubs and beer. Camera held the first Worcester Pub Beer Festival at the weekend with 12 pubs offering different beers, live music and special events. Nigel Smith, landlord of the Cardinal's Hat in Friar Street, said instead of our usual six traditional ales, we've got an extra 12, making it 18 in total. Tash Daly at the Cardinal's Hat said, they're all showcasing Worcestershire and Herefordshire local brewers and local hops. 
Mr Smith said, it's a beer festival in our beer garden. We're really excited to be part of the new camera initiative in Worcester. We've seen the benefit as it's brought people from further afield into Worcester, from as far as Berkshire, and there are people from Wales too. It's great that we can showcase our pub as part of the event. The Cardinal's Hat also had live music, along with Meet the Cheesemaker and Meet the Cider Maker sessions. Lee Hart, manager at the King Charles House, New Street, said, We've got a couple of extra beers, ciders in particular. It's 10% off for camera members. It's fantastic. The Eagle Vaults pub on Friar Street was packed with everyone on their feet for a lively set by Worcester Ukulele Club on Saturday. The Dragon Inn on the Tithing had a brand new beer called Old Faithful, as well as some more real ales and a charity tombola. And this is um, a a headline saying, I have no tent, court told. A 43-year-old homeless man broke down in the dock as he pleaded with city magistrates to get him a tent after admitting verbally abusing police officers. Lee Cleveley was given the unusual punishment of being forced to stay on court grounds for a set period by magistrates who also told him there was nothing they could do to get him a tent. Shafkat Riaz, prosecuting, said on March the 2nd, officers were called to the front counter of Worcester Police Station to a disturbance. Mr Riaz said officers saw Cleveley swearing and at one point throwing a coat. Cleveley, who was drunk, then hurled abuse at officers before leaving the station. Mr Riaz said outside the station the abuse of officers continued and at one point he emptied a bottle of Lucasade over his head and shouted at officers. Mr Riaz added the offence was witnessed by passers-by before he was arrested. While Mr Riaz was addressing magistrates, Cleveley made an outburst saying that what was being said was not true before becoming upset and wiping tears away with his T-shirt. There was a short break in the proceedings while he composed himself. Mark Turnbull, defending, said, You will have seen Mr Cleveley does have a record. You may have come across him previously in these courts. Mr Cleveley is homeless. He was living in a tent in Castle Street. You may have seen it. Mr Turnbull said on the day Cleveley was intoxicated and went to the station to discuss a £20 note being taken from him. But he said he became agitated as he felt police did not help. In particular, what he was really saying is, you're quick to arrest me, I go to you for help, and you're not interested, Mr Riaz said. He said it in an inappropriate manner. Mr Turnbull added, Mr Cleveley was currently living in Woodland, but was close to being moved on, and the tent he was living in had become damaged. A probation report found Cleveley had been engaging with them and dealing with his issues. Magistrates looked at the outstanding money owed to the courts and decided to write off £1,760, explaining this had been before a jail sentence he had served. Judith Holland, chairman of the magistrates' bench, said that as punishment... What they had decided to do was force Cleveley to stay in the court building for a further two hours. Consider that as the punishment for the offence, the magistrate said. Cleveley then broke down as he said, I haven't got a tent. Can you get me a tent? 
the court clerk, magistrates and a probation officer said there was nothing they could do and suggested he speak further with his solicitor. The case was heard last Thursday. OK. This headline from Friday's newspaper, 100 miles to support Oscar. A dad is jumping into the saddle to support a five-year-old boy whose search for a stem cell donor has touched the hearts of local community and countrywide. Dan Marta is set to cycle 100 miles in Velo, Birmingham and Midlands in support of Oscar Saxelby-Lee, who was diagnosed with an aggressive form of leukaemia, as we know. Oscar is currently undergoing intensive chemotherapy and the campaign to find him a stem cell donor, entitled Hand in Hand for Oscar, has seen thousands of people queuing at registration events in Worcester and further afield. Mr Martyr's fundraising has already received a sizeable boost from former England goalkeeper Ben Foster. Mr Martyr added, I was quite taken aback when a donation of £500 pinged into my Just Giving account, but as I'm not a big football fan, I didn't recognise the name of the contributor. The Wolves fans in the office quickly made me aware who Ben was, and I can't thank him enough for such a generous donation. Mr Martyr's son Laurie is in the same class as Oscar at Pitmaston Primary School in St John's. Mr Martyr said, Oscar's mum was one of the first people my wife spoke to when Oscar and Laurie started school in September. You see stories about fundraisers and your heart goes out to people, but this is very personal to us as we know Oscar. Leukaemia is so indiscriminate. It could have been any of the five-year-olds in the class. Once we found out that Oscar was unwell, the PTA wanted to show as much support as possible and began focusing on donor registration and fundraising. The response has been incredible. The stem cell swab event at Pitmaston School broke the record for the most people registered at a single UK event. Mr Martyr says he is in training as much as possible for the event, adding, At the moment, 60 miles has been my maximum. 100 miles is a big challenge, but I don't think it'll be the last one, as I really want to continue raising funds and spreading the message. The more we increase awareness, the better, and the more funds we collect, the greater our ability to help cure leukaemia, fund their nurses and their treatment programmes. The 100-mile cycle event for Cure Leukaemia will take place on May the 12th. To donate, visit justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Dan um, hyphen Marta, that's M-A-R-T-Y-R, one. Thank you, Phil. The next um, item is about a lecture that's coming up. The headline is Notable Authors Return for Lecture. One of King's School Worcester's most distinguished old boys is set to return to the city to deliver the Mayor's Lecture in the Guildhall. Andrew Reeks left King's in 1969 after being awarded an open scholarship in modern history to Exeter College, Oxford, and has since become a major figure in the world of education. He is also a noted author, having written four books, including Speeches That Changed Britain, and a comparative biography on Joseph Chamberlain and George Cadbury. Indeed, the subject of his lecture on the evening of Tuesday, April the 9th, will be The Life and Times of Neville Chamberlain, a man he feels history has harshly judged, in that Chamberlain is principally remembered for the policy of appeasement towards Hitler in the 1930s, while many worthy aspects of his life are overlooked. 
Mr Reeks has also recently completed a draft of Worcester Moments, a new work which takes 20 episodes in Worcester's history when the city was of national significance. This is due for publication later this year. For many years, he was an independent schools inspector, devised and led sector training courses on preparing for senior management and lectured for the Industrial Society. He acts as governor and trustee to a number of schools and is also a member of Marlborough College Governor's Education Committee. Mr Reeks was born and brought up in Bournemouth, but sent to King's as a boarder in 1964. He said, At King's I sang a lot, in the choir and as a soloist, especially in musicals. I captained the athletics team, represented Worcestershire, later Mr Reeks was awarded a university blue in athletics, and was deputy head of school in 1969. Outstanding history teaching at King's encouraged my academic interests and I won an open scholarship to Oxford University. After Oxford, I went into school teaching. For nearly 30 years, I was either a deputy head or a head teacher at a variety of schools, latterly as sub-warden and as acting warden at Radley College. The Mayor's Lecture is organised by Worcester Civic Society and Chairman Phil Douce said... We're honoured that Andrew Weeks has accepted our invitation to present the Mayor's Lecture this year, an event the Society has been involved with for more than 20 years. He's a leading authority on modern history, and I'm sure it will be a fascinating evening. The event on April the 9th begins at 7.30 in Worcester Guildhall, and admission is free. Um, the Mosque Pays Money Back is the next headline. A Muslim charity has repaid £2,300 of taxpayers' money to the council after worshippers raged concerns about how the money had been spent. The Jalalabad Association, which runs the mosque in Vincent Road, Worcester, says that the money had been sat in its bank account since 2012. Former County Councillor Aladitta signed off on two council payments to the charity to pay for a new IT system and a day trip. However, worshippers at the mosque claimed the mosque had not bought PC equipment or organised a day trip. Mohammed Abu Tahir, aged 29, the new secretary of the Jalalabad Association, said the money was never spent. The funds were left in our reserve funds account. We received a letter from the County Council saying, if you have the money, can you send it back to us? So that's what we did. The Council confirmed it had received Jalalabad's Association's £2,300 cheque at the beginning of March. The Secretary claimed the charity decided against buying an IT system because it feared the equipment would be stolen following a burglary a few years ago. He added that the charity also failed to organise a day trip because it was not able to agree a date with families due to clashing schedules. Mr Tahir said the Jalalabad Association now has five new trustees replacing their three predecessors who stepped down on February the 3rd. The former secretary, chairman and treasurer have also been replaced after their resignations last month. Mr Tahir said, we are also working towards a new constitution. This is a learning curve for all of the individuals within the community, especially the Jalalabad Association members. We accept our shortcomings.
There was a naivety about how to run the charity, but there was never a concern that the money was being misused. He added that membership fees would now be taken by direct debit, while donations taken during prayers would be logged on a list and witnessed by two members of the mosque's leadership team. The Worcestershire County Council spokesman said the council has now received a cheque for £2,300 from the Jalalabad Association. The matter is now closed. The Charity Commission is currently investigating the Jalalabad Association. Thank you. What our recording is missing so far is something on Brexit, so let's do something about that, shall we? MP hits out at divisive speaker. The city's MP has hit out at the Speaker of the House of Commons for not tabling Brexit votes that people, I quote, could unite around. Robin Walker, MP for Worcester, made the criticism after Parliament failed to pass any of the Brexit options that were proposed in the second round of indicative votes on Monday. He said, John Burkow is a very controversial speaker. Some colleagues are calling for a challenge to him. He's very good at getting business in the House running, but I don't think he's balanced in his approach to things. I think he's put on record his own view that the referendum wasn't a good idea. We have seen over many debates that he has not selected options that could have united the Conservative Party. He's not allowing the full debate to take place. I couldn't support any of the options on Monday. I think they all break key promises I made to the voters in Worcester. Mr Walker said he could have supported Part A of the Malthouse Plan in the first set of indicative votes. This proposal involved the Prime Minister's Brexit deal with a technological fix to customs issues in Northern Ireland. However, the Speaker did not pick Part A of the plan to be voted on. Mr Walker added that it would not be a good idea for the UK to leave the EU on April 12th without a deal and said the country needs to secure a short technical extension until May 22nd. He said he could understand the support for the customs union vote on Monday, which was backed by 273 MPs against 276. However, he warned it would not give the UK control over tariffs and quotas. Mr Walker said the EU was open to further negotiations and he called on the bloc to offer a compromise on the backstop to make it clear it would be a temporary measure. Um, This is a news in brief item. Uh, and it's about sight loss. People can learn about sight loss at a Worcester support group's next meeting. The UK's most common form of blindness will be brought sharply into focus at the Worcester Macular Support Group's next meeting. On Thursday, April the 18th, the group will be opening up its monthly get-together, which takes place at Sight Concern Worcestershire in Sansom Walk, to offer information about macular disease. The group is urging people to come along and find out more about the condition and the wide range of support available to people living in the local area. At the event, which runs from 2pm to 4pm, Amanda Reed, Regional Manager for leading sight loss charity the Macular Society, will be on hand to answer any questions about macular disease and living day-to-day with the condition. Refreshments, including tea, coffee and cake, will be available. Macular disease is the biggest cause of blindness in the UK. Nearly 1.5 million people are currently affected and many more are at risk. So just to repeat the date of that, it's Thursday, April the 18th. And this is Coffee Drinkers Back Cups Scheme. A coffee shop says its customers have got on board with a scheme to cut out single-use cups. 
The Boston Tea Party chain says nationally it has saved 124,134 single-use coffee cups from being thrown away after introducing a scheme where customers buying takeaway coffee must bring a reusable cup, buy one or borrow one. Stuart Bullman from Boston Tea Party Worcester said of the scheme, which started on June the first, that it began just because Boston realised how many of those cups were going into landfill, and everyone has spoken about it. But we wanted to make an actual impact on the environment. It was a massive, old move, because everyone else still does those single-use cups. We didn't make any money on these cups. It was strictly to do with making things better. This coffee shop sells reusable cups at retail price, and ten p of every cup, cup coffee sold is donated to St Barnabas C of E Primary School. That ten p is the cost of those horrible cups. So instead of keeping it, we wanted to give it back to the community. My two boys go to St Barnabas, so I wanted to help them out. Schools struggle with funding, and to get some basic stuff. So I just wanted to help them out," said Mr. Bullman. Since making the change, the chain has seen a decline in takeaway sales of two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Mr. Bullman said there was always going to be an implication either way, but we're trying to make a difference. It was quite difficult, but people got on board, and now a lot of people come in with their own cups. How many cups we have saved from going into landfill? It clearly makes a massive impact, Mr. Bullman added. We had a really good reception when we did it. It was brilliant being part of it. Britt Clayton, who was having a coffee at the city's Boston Tea Party, said most people carry a bag for their reusable coffee cups, and there are affordable cups that can go in your back pocket. She added, "It's a bit weird and a bit different, but sometimes that's what you need—not just coffee." Paula Clayton has three reusable cups and takes them wherever she goes. She said, "We are massively into conservation. Also, we use our own straws." Miss Clayton said, "There also needs to be more publicly available water fountains." Some of the reusable cups available to purchase at Boston Tea Party are made of bamboo, which is biodegradable. Cups can be loaned for four pounds fifty. And return to any of the branches for a full refund. Other coffee shops that sell reusable cups are Cafe Nero, who also gives customers an extra stamp on their loyalty card if they bring their own cup, and Coffee Hash One, whose takeaway cups are biodegradable and compostable. The chain also offers used coffee beans to customers for free to use as compost. And the next story comes from Wednesday's newspaper, Hunt for Carnival King and Queen. Preparations for this year's Worcester Carnival have been stepped up with the launch of a search for carnival royalty. The carnival is set for a colourful return to the city on Saturday, July the sixth, with the traditional carnival parade planned to go along the now-established circular route, starting and ending at Pitchcroft. Organisers have launched an appeal to find a royal court, including king, queen, and junior attendants, who will lead the parade. Applicants for king and queen should be over eighteen, while the junior court members will need to be boys and girls aged between six and eight years old. The prestigious title holders of king and queen also get the chance to represent the carnival throughout the whole year. 
Sue Chance from Worcester Carnival said, As we would like our royal party to take pride of place in the parade, we are looking for a sponsor to arrange for the decoration of a, decoration rather, of a flatbed lorry. This would be the ideal opportunity for a garden centre or similar business. Many organisations have already entered floats and walking groups for this year's parade. Entry forms are available on the Carnival website. And no carnival is complete without a marching band to lead the parade, and we are looking for suggestions. Organisers also need a marching brass band to lead the parade, which this year has the theme Books. The search is continuing for sponsorship and grants for the carnival. Worcester businesses are being asked to come forward with a range of sponsorship packages to choose from on the day. Alternatively, businesses can get involved by donating an item for the raffle. To apply to be in the Royal Court, visit Worcester Carnival's website, that's worcester-carnival.co.uk, and fill out an application form, including a recent photo, which needs to reach the organisers by Sunday, May the 5th. This is quite a long and reflective piece entitled A Haunting Experience, and it's written by a journalist called Tom Banner. You're here today because we need you to bear witness to tell the world of what happened here. Those were the words of Rabbi Andrew Shaw as we sat on the Great Stone Memorial to the victims of Auschwitz. I was invited by the Holocaust Educational Trust to be part of a visit to the site by students from schools and colleges across the Midlands, and what I saw I will never forget. After arriving at Krakow Airport, we were driven to the town of Oswiecim, better known by its German translation of Auschwitz. Before the war, the town was a diverse and cosmopolitan trading centre, with 58% of the population being Jewish. After a brief visit to the town, where we were shown the market square and the site of the former Great Synagogue, we were back on the bus to our next destination, Auschwitz I, the original part of the camp that was previously an army barracks. What I found unnerving was that the camp is only a three-minute drive from the town. I had a preconceived idea in my head that Auschwitz must be in the middle of nowhere, hidden from view, where no one could know what was going on, but there it is, just a few minutes out of town, round the corner. You can't miss it. Being shown round Auschwitz I was chilling, and being shown the hundreds of photographs of people deported to the camp with their dates of death brought home the human story of the Holocaust. In one of the rooms of Auschwitz I, the faces of children murdered in the camp are shown on the wall. One, Czesława Quoker was brought to Auschwitz in 1942 along with her mother Katarzyna and murdered. She was just 14 years old. The image of Czesława and the fear and panic in her face is an image that will haunt me forever. Along with this, we were shown the torture cells and the ex- execution square, as well as the public gallows, where former camp com- commandant Rudolf Hurst was hanged for his crimes by the Polish government after the war. Perhaps the hardest moment was standing inside the gas chamber, looking up at the holes where the Cyclone B gas was poured in, knowing that on the exact spot I was standing, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people were murdered. After leaving Auschwitz I, I caught up with Georgie Docker and Ted Pohl, students from the King's School in Worcester. Ted said, seeing it for real and seeing all the belongings on display really brings it home and it makes me angry that it ever happened. Georgie added, 
Seeing the video playing of Hitler and Goering giving their speech and everyone cheering is really hard to watch and shows how dark it all was. Charlotte Costa from Christopher Whitehead Language College said, I'm one of those people who will probably get more upset after we've left. Right now it is all just sinking in. Ethan Haddon, also from Christopher Whitehead, said, It's incredible to see all the belongings and to think that it isn't even a fraction of the total number of people that died. After leaving Auschwitz I, we were back on the bus and driven to Auschwitz-Birkenau, where the majority of victims were murdered. What struck me was how the sight is seemingly endless. Staring down the fence into the distance, you cannot see the end of the complex. What it must have looked like when ten, when a 100,000 people were living there is unimaginable. Birkenau was a different experience from the Auschwitz one. The open space of the camp gives you much more time to think and digest what you've seen and heard. And it was here that the enormity of what took place there really began to sink in. After being shown the barrack hut, train tracks and gas chambers at Birkenau, we gathered at the memorial, where Rabbi Shaw gave a profoundly moving address about love versus hate and challenged us all to tell the story of what happened so that it could never happen again. And now a chance to meet the horses at Country Tastic. A family-friendly farming event, Country Tastic, returns to the Three Counties showground in Morven this month. The show, on Thursday, April the 18th, is themed around horses and ponies, with plenty of opportunities to learn all about different breeds and how to look after them, from huge, heavy horses to modest Shetland ponies. Visitors will get the chance to meet the Gloucestershire Constabulary Mounted Police, who will be on hand to answer questions and explain how their horses play an important role in policing. People can try their hand at grooming ponies and meet a local farrier to find out about shoeing horses. TV presenter and Cotswold Farm Park's Adam Henson will be headlining the show in Ask the Farmer Classroom. Diana Walton, Three Counties Head of Shows, said... We love Country Tastic. It's such a fun show and it's fantastic seeing all the children having a wonderful time learning about life in the countryside. We've got lots of exciting activities for the whole family, from spinning wool into yarn to learning how to press cheese. For an experience of what life is like as a farmer, the parades of livestock, pig agility ring and mock livestock market, will have kids eager to meet and learn about farmyard animals from around Gloucestershire, Worcestershire and Herefordshire. The show runs from 10am to 5pm and tickets must be purchased in advance and that is Thursday, April the 18th. Thank you. We were in Boston Tea Party earlier on. We're going to visit another part of American history now. City's role in in Mayflower 400. Worcester is to be a focal point for celebrations to mark the 400th anniversary of the founding of modern-day America. Planned events in Worcester later this year include the May Flower 400 Pilgrim Conference and the Three Choirs Festival. 
Worcester is a featured partnership destination because Edward Winslow, who was born and schooled in the city, was one of the 102 pilgrims who travelled from Plymouth on the Mayflower. Similar celebrations are due to take place in America as well as the Netherlands around the same time, as they also played a key part in migration to the New World. The wooden Dutch cargo ship, the Mayflower, left Plymouth for the month-long voyage across the Atlantic in July 1620. The Mayflower 400 UK group is responsible for the planning of the events in the UK. Charles Hackett, a spokesman for the group, said, This project explores centuries of shared history between Britain, Holland and America. It's an opportunity to create a broad cultural programme in multiple locations to bring visitors to the UK to explore the past along the National Mayflower Trail and to increase awareness of this pivotal event on all four nations. Brenton Simons, president of the American Ancestors, said, The story of what happened in 1620 is foundational to the story of democracy and has widespread genealogical and historical ramifications. We have an important stake in telling this story since our founding in 1845 and we are dedicated to helping our members and the public connect to this important moment in American history. Before leaving the ship, the pilgrims signed the Mayflower Compact, a document that established a basic form of democracy. Um, This item has the title Farms Plan to Expand. A plan to build a new events building at a city farm to include an ice cream parlour and cafe has been submitted. The plan for expansion of Manor Farm off Malvern Road includes a rustic T-shaped modern barn building with outdoor seating and a play area which would be used as a venue for farm visits, educational workshops, farmers and arts and crafts markets as well as cookery lessons. The building would sit next to the farm's glamping site, Worcester Glamping. The farm, owned by the Bennetts family, intends to source from local breweries and stock its cafe with locally produced goods and products, as well as beef, which the farm has recently started producing, and other meats and dairy products. The farm also hopes to host regular farmers' markets and arts and crafts fairs to support other local farmers and artisans. The farm sees its expansion as a chance to support other local businesses when it hosts weddings, particularly at weekends, when guests use local bed and breakfasts, hotels and pubs, and local butchers and fish and chip shops, as well as other mobile caterers, florists, photographers and other wedding businesses. In a design statement included with the application, the farm said it wanted to provide a family and dog-friendly meeting place in the countryside for the southern edge of Worcester. The plan has already received enthusiastic support from neighbours and visitors to the nearby glamping site, who have welcomed the farm's expansion. Comments submitted in support of the plan include include Anne-Marie Howe of Bath Road, who said it would be lovely to have a family-friendly place in that area. We often go for walks across the Diglis Bridge, but there's not much around, especially for children. I strongly support local farmers, and it would be so nice to have an independent place to go to in that area. Jessica Lane Walker of Pike Close said, It sounds wonderful to have somewhere to go outdoors with a cafe and play area. Soft plays are great, but encouraging outdoor activity is so important. I think South Worcester would really benefit from this.
Consultation on the plan ends on April the 11th and comments can be made via the planning section of Worcester City Council's website. The application number is 19 forward slash 00094 forward slash FUL. And this is entitled Developer Excited as Homes Plan. It's just a short um, piece. Plans for a derelict former nightclub to be made into student accommodation are exciting, according to the director of one of the developers. Alex Grove, the director of Thornlow Development, the firm behind the plans for the former Images nightclub opposite the Hive, said there had been good feedback from a consultation event held in February. Under the scheme, the former nightclub in the Butts would be demolished and replaced by seven-storey student housing block. The former Worcester Warriors player said, I've lived in the city for ten years and always wanted to work on a scheme like this. I wanted to give back to the city. People told us they wanted to see something happen there instead of what's there. We don't have a name yet and we're still working on the application dotting the I's and crossing the T's. The building has been derelict since Funk Nightclub closed down in February 2012. Thank you, Jane. Well, that's the end of the section that we look at other news stories. We're going to pass across to sport now, and I've got two uh, football stories, one of which is very short, uh, to open this section. Now, I know you won't want to wait a moment longer to find out how Hereford Football Club are doing, so here we go, dogged bulls. Hereford Football Club coach Mark Richards praised his side's dogged performance as they fought to a 2-0 victory over Spennymoor Town, who I might add were third in the table at the time. Results have gone our way, he said, we're starting to look at the top end of the table rather than the bottom. There were a few of us who weren't at the races in the first half. A big change was Mike Simmons coming on to get a bit of a foothold and retain the ball better, which worked really well. The lads hadn't really performed in that first half, but yet were two goals up. The second was really good to see them in a positive performance in a different way. Those away performances where the results weren't there when I came in have now started to materialise. Richards handed a debut to striker Rowan Liebherd, signed from Geisley, and said the marksman showed good signs despite not having trained with the squad. My second football story is Booze Ban Part of a Fan Clampdown. And this is a story about the Worcester Raiders from Monday's newspaper. A vetting process will be put in place and no alcohol served at Worcester Raiders home match in a bid to ensure the safety of supporters. Raiders Management Committee has reviewed their matchday arrangements for both home and away fixtures following, I quote, a number of alleged incidents. The West Midlands League Division 1 leaders have also decided not to send fans to their potential title-deciding clash at second-place Darleston Town on April 13th and insisted any supporters who turn up to this fixture will be refused entrance. The match will see the title rivals meet for the first time since their 1-1 draw last month, which was marred by claims from Darleston of, quote, violence, racist and abusive comments. The top two are separated by three points pending the outcome of Raiders' abandoned match at Bustleholm. Raiders led 3-1 at York Road in injury time when a brawl involving players and staff from both teams and members of the crowd led to referee Pete Dernal prematurely calling time. 
As it stands, Carl Gormley's side of three games left in the league after Saturday's 3-1 win at mid-table Wellington Amateurs. In a, face, in a statement posted on their Facebook page, Raiders said supporters would only be allowed into the match at Sikh Hunters on Tuesday if they had registered their intent to attend. Quote, a Worcester Raiders management committee member will be present at the entrance to these away matches to confirm the identity of those listed before they enter the away ground, the statement read. The home team will then be responsible for any other spectators they allow into their ground. There will be no alcohol served before or during the matches and the bar will be open for post-match hospitality for players, officials and committee members only. Any alcohol brought onto the ground will be confiscated and returned post-match on departure from the ground. Home and away fans will be segregated and stewards will be in attendance. Worcester Raiders, it continues, are taking the above measures to demonstrate their commitment to ensuring the safety and enjoyment of those who do come and support their club or the opposition. And here's a rugby story. Grand Slam winner Josh Adams is back and feeling fresh ahead of Worcester Warriors' battle with Wasps at the Ryko Arena this coming Saturday at 3pm. Director of Rugby, Alan Solomon, said the wing had returned to Six Ways following a five-day break and was ready to help second-from-bottom Warriors steer clear of relegation. The 23-year-old has had a whirl in the past couple of months, having starred in Wales' Six Nations success before scoring a try in Worcester's victory at Bristol Bears in the, Gallag- in the Gallagher Premiership. He missed Warriors' European Challenge Cup quarter-final defeat to Harlequins last Saturday, but resumed training on Monday to prepare for their upcoming league clash. Joss is the one guy I gave a break to, Solomon said. He came straight off the back of winning the Grand Slam with Wales to play against Bristol, where I felt he acquitted himself well. But all things taken into consideration, I felt he needed a break, so I gave him five days off. He's been in since Monday. He's fresh and feels good. I think we need a fresh Josh Adams, as he's a great player. Tommy Howe has got some good experience, having played in the Premiership and a European Challenge Cup quarter-final. You can have training sessions, but you can never quite simulate a match. So for a young guy to get that experience of playing at the top level is invaluable. While Adams was rested, New Zealand flyer Bryce Heem played and scored against Quinns only to be forced off through injury in the second half. But Solomon said, Bryce has got a bit of discomfort underneath his foot, so it's not a major thing. He should be fine. Tighthead prop Nick Schonert, Locke, Anton Bressler and back rowers Ted Hill and Marco Mama are also set to come back into the starting lineup. All those guys had injuries, so we weren't going to try to push them through the Quinns game, Solomon said. We had to look for that balance between getting continuity and not playing guys that were carrying injuries. We gave opportunities to other lads, which was important, but I don't envisage any of those four not being available for selection this weekend. Fly half Jono Lance will provide competition for the number 10 jersey after recovering from a blow to the head that kept him out of the Quinns clash. Solomon said Cornell Dupreeze, who came off the bench to make his first appearance since fracturing his larynx seven months ago, was among a number of players that were in the mix for selection. There was hope hooker Jack Singleton would be back in contention to face Wasps as he recovers from an elbow injury sustained in the loss at Newcastle Falcons last month. 
but the 22-year-old is now not due back until Worcester's home clash against Sail Sharks on Saturday, April the 13th. It'll probably be a week too early for Jack, Solomon said. He's got to be 100% right, so I think we're probably going to be looking at the following week for him. He is at practice and is progressing really nicely. Both Niall Annett and Joe Taufiti got 40 minutes against Quinns and have had plenty of game time. We're in a good position with those two. Now, two short pieces, one on um, sword fencing and the other on um, rugby, again, but girls' rugby this time. Um, A Welsh success in fencing. Members of Malvern Hills Sword Fencing Club dominated the Welsh National Epee Championships. Four of the club's fencers finished in the top five, with Worcestershire teenager Abby Watkins of Herefordshire Sixth Form College clinching gold. Monmouth-based Louise Sadler secured silver. Hereford's Rebecca Rayford of St Mary's RC High School took bronze, and Ella Williams of Wigmore High School came fifth. Watkins showed her prowess through a perfect pool, giving her first-place seeding to help her through to the final. Sadler and Rayford met in the semi-finals. In a closely fought battle, Sadler came out on top on the day, although Rayford went on to win the highest cadet placing. Williams just missed out on a place in the semi-finals as she fell to a 15-14 defeat to Stella Lancey of Cardiff. All four fencers regularly train at the fencing club in Sport Dyson Perrins. They get to fence against national and international epiists as well as many pentathlon world-class and podium athletes, including Kate French, who competed at the Rio Olympics in 2016. The club train on Wednesdays from 6pm until 7pm for beginners and 7pm until 9pm for the more experienced. And for the Worcester rugby-playing girls, Worcester's Nunnery Wood High School can boast a talented pool of girls rugby players. Seven players from year 9 and 10 play for Worcester under-15s, with six put forward by club coaches for North Midlands Regional Assessment at Bourneville RFC. Three were selected for the squad among 60 girls on trial with the hooker Lola Brothwell, scrum half Melissa Tout and centre Anna Willis chosen. Willis, who was also selected as a captain, admitted about the sport which she started in the city school in year eight, I would love it to become a career for me. The girls have enjoyed county success as well, as impressing at the festivals held in Siston in Leicester and Burntwood in Staffordshire. Some cricket now. Worcestershire have received encouraging news about the fitness of club captain Joe Leach. It means that the 27-year-old can now begin the final stage of his rehabilitation programme with a view to resuming playing seconds cricket during the next few weeks. Worcestershire Head of Sports Science and Medicine, Ben Davis, said Joe has had a repeat scan and it was positive news regarding his back. He can now start his final phase of rehabilitation work before looking towards a return to playing. In the coming weeks, he will hopefully return to second eleven cricket with a view to returning to first-team cricket once he has had adequate workloads. Paceman George Scrimshaw is back bowling after missing the pre-season tour of Abu Dhabi as a precautionary measure because of some stiffness around his lower back. Davis said, George is back bowling, it wasn't anything too serious, we didn't want him to risk 
uh, his back on tour and ramp his workloads up before he was ready. Fellow paceman Dylan Pennington should also be available sooner rather than later as he recovers from a bruised heel. Davis added, Dylan will do gym work and we will introduce him back to bowling over the next few weeks and then we will get him back into second team cricket. Worcester Rapids chased down a target of 404 in just 45.1 overs in last Thursday's encounter at Warwickshire. Worcestershire reached the semi-finals of the Cup for the second successive year in 2018. On April the 9th, the early season fixture between the academy and second 11 teams will also take place at Kidderminster at 11am. The second's opening three-day friendly at Somerset was cancelled due to flooding. OK, well, just to take up the cricket theme, another story about the cricket, and it comes from today's paper, in fact, the April the 4th. Worcestershire chairman Fanos Hira says counties need to be properly remunerated if players they've developed move to other clubs. Hira has been part of the England and Wales Cricket Board Committee looking at introducing a development compensation payment scheme which, set, which is set to come into force from 2020. Worcestershire have brought through more home talent into their first team than many counties, with often eight or nine players appearing at the same time. While Hero stressed the county don't want people to leave and are keen to attract talent to Blackfinch New Road, he feels it's only right any county should be remunerated in those circumstances. He said, one of the things in the past, when we've perhaps not paid players enough or not invested in player welfare and all the other issues that cause people to leave, is that we've developed talent and they've moved on. We don't want people to leave. We want to attract talent. However, if people leave, we need to be properly remunerated for the significant efforts we've put into developing talent through our pathways and academies. One of the ECB committees I've sat on has been looking at a development compensation payment scheme. The recommendations, while approved, have yet to be formally implemented, but it seems that our interests ought to be better protected going forward. At the very least, there seems to be genuine recognition that those counties who produce England-qualified players, as well as we do, ought to be properly remunerated through a compensation system should players move on. We would, we would expect this to be implemented in time for the 2020 season. And for Crunch Talks of the Warriors are set to make the final call on their out-of-contract stars. Um, Crunch Talks are set to be held at Six Ways to decide which of the Worcester Warriors remaining out-of-contract players will be retained. Warriors have been busy handing out new deals since the start of November, December with 17 members of the current crop putting pen to paper. But with less than two months to go before the end of the season, there are still nine players whose futures have yet to be resolved. Centres Ben Teo and Winand Oliver, hookers Jack Singleton and Niall Annette, back rowers Alatofi Silva and Dewald Potham and Carl de Kerwin and Locke, Darren Barry and scrum half Johnny R are all out of contract this summer. However, head coach Rory Duncan said the renewal process had yet to be completed and did not rule out making some end-of-season re-signings. Considering where we are at this stage in the season, we've got a number of players signed for next season, Duncan said. But players do get signed towards the back end of the season and those final decisions will have to be made when we eventually have a meeting. 
we will discuss all the players that are in the system at the moment. Kerwin's hopes of staying with Warriors appear to be in doubt when he was shipped out on loan to Championship Club Ealing Trailfinders for the rest of the campaign. However, the 28-year-old has recently been recalled and was an unused substitute in Worcester's Gallagher Premiership victory at Bristol Bears last Saturday. The flanker who has been hit by injuries over the past two years is also in contention to play in tomorrow's European Challenge Cup final, um, a quarter-final, sorry, against Harlequins at 8.15. We did have Carl on loan with Ealing, but we needed him to come back and join us so he's available for selection, Duncan said. He's certainly with us at the moment and has been training with us. On Kerwin's future, Duncan added, when it comes to contracting, we'll have to look at who we've already got signed and make decisions from there. Those conversations are not taking place at this moment in time, but we will have a chat. We've got players under contract for next season, and I'm pretty sure we will discuss every player that's with us before we make the final decision. Olivier has made more than 50 appearances for Worcester since his arrival in 2015, but the 35-year-old has slipped down the packing order this term and is weighing up whether to call it a day. Winnand is a player that we have called on important games to do a job for us. And when it comes to a player like Winnand, he's in the same boat as Kerwin. We'll have this conversation about those players. That will take place at a structured meeting where we will make those final decisions. Singleton, aged 22, has been linked with a move to Saracens, while Teo, 32, has reportedly attracted interest from clubs in Japan. The England international has scored eight tries in 30 games over three seasons at Worcester. Ben is an experienced player, Duncan added. He's added a lot of value to this team during the campaign. It's one of those conversations that will be held with the top brass at Warriors. He's a valuable player for us, and as soon as we know what the situation is, we will make a statement. Thank you, Jane. And now a story about Worcester City Supporters Trust and their attempts to get a stadium built at Purdyswell. Worcester City Supporters Trust Chairman Dave Wood insists that he's never worried about raising £2.5 million to build a community sports facility at Purdyswell. The trust, which this week took a controlling interest in the company that runs Homeless City, released details of how it plans to pursue the project to members at its annual general meeting on Thursday. It was highlighted that work needs to start by September 2021 in line with the three-year deadline on the planning permission granted via an appeal to the planning inspectorate. That happened after Worcester City Council, the landowners of the proposed site, went against the advice of its officers to reject the bid. The prospect of gaining access to the land has proved a political hot potato, with pressure group Protect Purdiswell Park railing against the plans. This week, the Trust lifted the lid on how the development would be more than a football stadium and overseen by the Trust, a not-for-profit community benefit society owned equally by its members rather than the club, which remains a limited company. Wood, also, Wood, also a director of the club, says a minimum of 3,000 members of four or five groups who wish to be part of the project would benefit from utilising the seven-day-a-week operation. 
I have always stated from day one that the money side of it has never been an issue for me, said Wood. It is a matter of finding the funding streams and people who want to engage, which happens by us showing the viability of the product of the project. The fact it has now become more of a reality and we have a time scale actually makes it more exciting. We have to get on with it. We are talking to community partners who want to be a part of it. Four or five have come to us and we have momentum. We want to get across the message about the community facility we want. There is a time limit on our planning application. Once that appeal was sorted, we had to set our target. Asked about the scale of proposed collaborations, Wood said, there is potential for a minimum of 3,000 members from these community partners. That would benefit a huge number of people from outside the football fraternity. Right, we will now move on, I think, to the birthday list, which I'm going to ask Catherine to do. Thank you, Catherine. And we've got uh, two birthdays this week, so many happy returns to Kate Hudman on the 9th of April and James Bowden on the 12th of April. And now, Jane, please, the thought for the week. This is from Luke 23, verses 13 to 16 and 23 to 25. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Thank you, Jane. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank tonight's readers, Jane and Catherine, and the production team for all their efforts. So we will go around the table now and say goodbye to you from Catherine. Here's goodbye from me. And And goodbye from me. Sorry, Jane, I talked over that. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're still friends. And from me, Phil. Bye. So this is the section where we read out the announcements of deaths. Um, I'm going to start with Barry Anthony Davis died peacefully at home in Malvern on March the 8th, 2019, aged 76 years. The funeral service will be held on Friday, April the 5th at 2.30pm at Worcester Crematorium. Donations can be made in memory, in his memory, to the RNLI. Lindsay Hugh Gordon Gittins, known as Bluey, passed away in hospital on March the 11th, 2019, aged 75. A service to celebrate his life will take place on Friday, April the 12th at 11.30 at Worcester Crematorium. No flowers, please. Donations for Cancer Research UK, if desired, may be left in the donations box provided or sent to AV Band, St Nicholas Street, WR1. 1UW. Michael Robinson passed away on March the 19th, 2019, at the age of 78. 
A requiem mass will be held on Monday, April the 8th, 2019, at 12 noon at St George's Roman Catholic Church, Worcester. Flowers welcome. Sheila Ann Robery passed away on March the 10th, aged 80 years. The funeral and interment will be at Our Blessed Lady and St Alphonsus Roman Catholic Church, Blackmore Park, Hanley Swan, Worcester, WR80EA, on Thursday, April the 11th, at 2.30pm. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, to cancer research may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, WR 141TL. Kathleen Woodward, known as Kay, died on at home on March the 18th, 2019, aged 96. A celebration of Kay's life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, April the 12th at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be, held in, may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Bright colours may be worn, if desired. Graham Charles William Dance passed away at home on March the 19th, 2019, aged 86. His funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on April the 11th at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, only donations if desired for cancer research or and or St Richard's Hospice may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band St John's WR24LE. Giuseppe Mazzocchi, known as Pino, died on March the 18th, 2019, aged 90. The funeral service will be held at St George's Church on Wednesday, April the 10th at 10am. Inquiries to E.J. Gummery and Son, 01905-22094. Jean Nicklin, née Byersdorf, passed away on the 24th of March 2019, aged 85. The cremation service will take place on Wednesday the 17th of April 2019 at 10.45am at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only please. Donations to St Richard's Hospice can be gifted as you leave the service. And we have Olive Perry, née Davis, passed away peacefully at home on March the 21st, 2019, aged 91 years. Funeral service at St Thomas's Church, Crown East, on Friday, April the 5th, at 10.45am, followed by interment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please. Please wear bright colours if attending. Bedwardine Funeral Services, 01905 748 811. Barbara Williams, formerly of Home Nash House, passed away peacefully on March the 19th, 2019, aged 98 years. Flowers and donations, if desired, 
for Alzheimer's Research UK may be sent to E.J. Cummery and Son, 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU and the funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, April the 8th at 1pm. A collection plate will also be available at the crematorium. Gwyneth Avril, Gwyneth May passed away peacefully on Saturday, March the 23rd 2019, aged 81, at Regent Care Home. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, April the 10th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, but donations if desired for Dementia UK may be left on the plate at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, the Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. David Miller, passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on March the 26th, 2019, aged 72 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, April the 15th at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations if desired for WAH NHS Charitable Trust Fund may be left in the collection box available at the service. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care Telephone 01905-22137. Christopher Chris Riley passed away peacefully at home on mon- March the 20th, 2019. Uh, family flowers only, please. Donations for St Richard's or Acorns Hospice, care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, the Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT, and the funeral service will be held at St Mary's Church, Kempsey, followed by a private family committal on Thursday, April the 11th at 1pm. John William Yates of Southall Avenue, Worcester, passed away peacefully at home. March the 17th, 2019, aged 92 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, April the 10th at 1pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Leukaemia Research Fund may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Irene Dorothy Dina passed away on March 15th, this year aged 97. A service of thanksgiving and celebration will be held Monday, April the 8th, 2019, at 11 o'clock at Harvington Baptist Church, followed by an interment in St James's Anglican Churchyard. Flowers welcome. Donations for Cancer Research UK may be left on the day of the service or sent to James Giles and Sons, 2628 High Street, Studley, B807HJ. Michael Lawson Dunnett, known as Mike, passed away at St. Richard's Hospice on March the 26th, aged 77. The cremation will be private, but a service of thanksgiving will take place at Martley Church on Tuesday, April the 16th at 1.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice and Green Fingers may be left at church or sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone Worcester 748811. Rosemary Ann Fullwood passed away on March 28th, aged 88. 
funeral service at the Vale Crematorium Fladbury on Thursday, April the 11th at 11am. Flowers or donations for the Alzheimer's Society may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Mary Elizabeth Janes passed away at St. Richard's Hospice on Saturday, March 23rd, aged 67. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, April the 12th at 10.45. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque directly to the charity. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, telephone Worcester 22137. Michael David Teague, known as Mick, passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on Tuesday, March 12th, aged 83. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, April the 11th at 10am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Dogs Trust, Evesham, or Missionaries of Charity may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque directly to the charity. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, that's telephone Worcester 22137. That concludes our obituaries. Sunrise today was at 6.35 and sunset at 7.47. Goodbye for now.